0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our 21st podcast that brings us back to projects related to memory, activism, and archives in the Spanish-speaking world and Latin America. We have invited to our studio our two most recent PhDs in Hispanic Cultural Studies at Michigan State University, Andrew Bentley and Osvaldo Sandoval. Their doctoral projects intersect the themes of violence, trauma, representation in contemporary writing, performance, and material culture in post-war Guatemala and Spain and the Southern Cone, respectively. Welcome to Collaborative Hs Osvaldo and Andrew. We are so happy to have you here today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Rocio. It's it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to Our discussion.
2: Thank you very much for uh, inviting us today, Rocio, to talk a little bit about uh, our projects.
0: Good, great. As we have talked before this conversation, uh, your works, your dissertations, your research projects resonate with the development of the Grupo de Apoyo Mutuos Digital Archive, which was featured in episode 14 of our podcast series. Uh, This um, project is led by Alex Galarza, also an MSU graduate from the History Department, who is now working at Haverford College. Let's talk first about your respective works in relation to the topics of this episode 14. So uh, let's start with you, Andrew. Could you tell us brief, briefly about
1: your doctoral project and your dissertation? Oh, absolutely. So my dissertation is t- entitled In and Out of the Peripheral Network City, Urban Space is Written by Violence in Post-War Guatemala. And I'm looking at urban space and culture um, in a period from the end of the Guatemalan and Turtle Arm conflicts until the present. So we're talking about roughly... Uh, well, after the peace accords were signed in December 96 until the present day, so just over a 20-year time span, and I'm looking at how both urban space and representations and responses to that urban space um, reinforce violence as a structuring principle of culture in Guatemala today, and I also originate my own theoretical trope, the peripheral network city, which is a partitioned, I see as a partitioned urban sprawl shaped by both the infrastructures of state power and also citizen responses to that state's power in the public sphere. And I offer some conclusions. One of the most important ones, I think, is that Guatemala uh, exemplifies um, other parts of Latin America and indeed the global south, where, where state-sponsored violence is reconfigured urban space as a as a social imaginary. Um, so that's that's basically, you know, a synopsis of, of the project.
0: Yes. And I'm very glad to have been part of it by reading it and talking with you about it. Mm-hmm. And Thank the you. same thing with Osvaldo. Please, could you tell us about your dissertation and, and your research?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, well, the title of my dissertation is uh, The Unrepresentable on Stage. Uh, The Forgotten in Contemporary Dramaturgy in the Southern Cone and Spain. And basically, my research uh, examines uh, the representations of victims uh, during the dictatorships uh, in Spain and the Southern Cone, understood as uh, Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay, and how theater... uh, which I use the traumatic text and the performance of that text, uh, how uh, theater represents uh, the stories of, uh, of these victims uh, in a post-dictatorship context. Um, my research deals with memory, trauma, and displacement, torture, but also it deals with hope, with hope for these uh, victims. So I uh, so my uh, so my dissertation examines uh, these discourses these of forgetting, discourses uh, of uh, reconciliation, but uh, I look at how these discourses uh, uh, do not uh, repair or fully acknowledge the atrocities that happened in the past, and how it affects uh, not only the direct victims of uh, of the dictatorships, but also uh, uh, second generations. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay, Osvaldo, And your approach is transatlantic. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the the time period that of the works you have been working, and just give us a couple of examples of the primary texts from both sides of the Atlantic?
2: Yes, definitely. Uh, yes, my uh, my research is uh, transatlantic in nature because I uh, connect. Uh, the uh, Spanish uh, Peninsular Theater with Southern Cone uh, Theater, in terms of uh, collaborating to represent the stories of these victims, uh, and I uh, look at plays that were uh, produced between 1990 and 2010. So I take care of, uh, of two decades of uh, of theater uh, producing and bringing to stage uh, these stories. Uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, works that I uh, that I examine is, uh, is NN12 by uh, Spanish playwright uh, Gracia Morales. And I mentioned this play uh, specifically because uh, it has been a collaboration between uh, this Spanish uh, uh, author and, uh, and the Argentinian uh, and the, and, in, and in the Southern Corn in general, uh, a theater. She has been uh, presenting uh, her... Uh, place all over uh, South America, and and now she is going to. Uh, she's been working by uh, giving um, theater. Um, what is it called? Uh, seminaries mm-hmm. in, diff- in different uh, parts of South, um, South America, and I follow this collaboration that mm-hmm. started uh, way back uh, when the Spanish uh, Civil War happened, and a lot of uh, authors, uh, theater groups, uh, artists, uh, had to go into exile because of, the, uh, because of the Civil War.
0: Good. And Andrew, I know in your um, thesis, in your dissertation, you have analyzed sites um, artifacts as uh, like photographs and literary works. Can you give us a couple of examples of the, of that text you have worked with and the time period?
1: Oh, I would be happy to. So again, we're thinking about um, ninety seven until the present, but most specifically, the texts that I looked at were very recent, from two thousand five until two thousand fifteen. Um, and one of the, the sites that I, that I also conceptualize as a text is the Historical Archive yeah. of the National Police, or the AHPN, as it's referred to in its Spanish acronym. And the site has a very... Um, complex and nuanced history, um, but just to kind of condense that a little bit, you know, as in other repositories and urban sites in Central America, I mean, there are similar places in uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, for example, was the site of a uh, old uh, police barracks at a at an area called La Isla in Guatemala City, and there had been some explosions in that area in two thousand five. And when people, human rights workers, and volunteers started to explore that, they uncovered eighty million documents. That's eighty eight zero documents um, uh, that were held in the AHPN about war crimes and so and and when those documents were found they were weathered they the wind and water and and animals and uh, you know cockroaches bats had all taken taken hold of those those documents and so the recovery effort has its own very very elaborate history so i look a little bit about the history of the recovery effort of the AHPN documents about human rights abuses Um, But then I also look at the site of the AHPN as it looks today. The site is held within a walled structure, which to me replicates other walled spaces in Guatemala City and certainly in other areas of urban Latin America. And uh, I look at the, the insides of the walls, which have been painted by the human rights activists who form part of El Proyecto, which is the project for the recovery of the documents. And they have a large variety of images where they, in a very artistically innovative way, respond to how they felt when they were reading the documents. There are Images of Guatemala in flames, for example, or skulls to to replicate what they were reading about, but also a Guatemalan rendition of Lady Justice, where the documents are kind of shooting up out from her dress to to symbolize uh, their importance in Guatemalan culture. And then within the main building at at, uh, La Isla, or the AHPN, there is a museum where they recreate what the site looked like in 2005 when it was found. And um, also there's a, a digital space where, you can, and where anybody can go and see the digitized documents. Now, in response to that, there, ha, there is a novel by Rodrigo Rosa, who is a very prominent Guatemalan author, called El Material Humano or human matter, and that novel is a literary reconstruction of the AHPN with the author as the protagonist going into this space and trying to make um, representational sense of his country's recent history, Um, and so that was one of the novels that most caught my attention, Um, and certainly there are other spaces um, within Guatemala that resonate with the AHPN, there are, for example, in the, in the Centro Histórico of Guatemala City, uh, walls of buildings that have been plastered with photos of disappeared persons by the hijos, who are the sons and daughters of the disappeared people who share their name with the hijos of Argentina, mm-hmm. which there's a lot more written about that. Um, and it's here where I start to see a lot yeah. of the connections with what mm-hmm. Oswaldo's doing in the Southern Cone, um, because certainly those, those representations echo mm-hmm. um, the theater and, and vice versa. Um, so I, I do also analyze some of those photo- those photographs in the urban space, how that reorients, how we understand the transmission and storage of knowledge, how we understand the rebuttal almost to the state power within the archive, um, and so that that's that those are three uh, just three examples mm-hmm. of the text that I look at.
0: Good. Um, I want to Osvaldo I want to uh, know now a little bit more about challenges you may have yes. experienced during your research project or during the writing of your dissertation, etc. I can tell you I have read your the works of both of you and uh, while they are, extraordinary works they were approved with no revisions which is very telling thank you, um, thank you. it was painful for yes. me to read mm-hmm. so i was thinking all the time oh my god if it's painful for me to read how painful is for the authors of these works so in addition to that uh, or if you want to comment on that osvaldo what are what is the main challenge you have account- encountered during yeah. your work your research
2: i think you have mentioned uh the difficulty of uh, of reading uh, pain about pain and i think uh this is going to be probably uh the same challenge uh, that andrew had because mm-hmm. uh just uh, reading uh in my case also uh watching mm-hmm. and processing uh processing uh, all the all those testimonies of uh of, of the victims and uh, testimonies of uh, extreme violence, uh, testimonies of uh, uh, different uh, types of uh, torture. It has been a challenge, uh, uh, not only reading, but also writing about it, uh, to, to write about uh, these situations. And in my case, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been difficult to find uh, a way uh, to... A, a proper way or a sensible way to represent uh, all this pain and, and why um, is it caused uh, in many cases uh, that are uh, for many of us inconceivable because we haven't uh, I haven't experienced anything not even close uh, nothing similar to, to to what I write about uh, and on the other hand it has also been uh, difficult to reconstruct. Um, this story stories because uh, many of the documents uh, were, um, during the dictatorships, uh, were destroyed by the regimes mm-hmm. and um, documents uh, that contain details about uh, all the violence, all this violence, and, uh, and the reasons why uh, these people uh, were being killed and, and tortured. So, um, so these situations uh, become uh, more challenging uh, when we have now the testimonies of those victims, but then uh, the official account uh, discredits uh, these testimonies mm-hmm. based yeah. uh, on the fracture uh, that memory uh, suffers because of trauma. So that's that I, I, f- for me that has been a that has been a uh, how to how to represent uh, pain.
0: Yes, and how to make it visible and um, how to make it a speaking in spite of the uh, intention to make it invisible, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I... I uh, that is one of the big challenges. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what about you? What ch- challenges have
1: you yeah. had? You know, and I, I'm sure many, but there are, there are many yeah. but many yeah. of them actually speak directly to what Osvaldo was just saying. Yes. Um, but i'll I'll divert from yeah. that for just a second. On the one hand, Guatemala is very marginalized in Latin American cultural studies as a field, and that is a huge, Um, A huge paradox, especially when we think of the current exodus of, of people who are leaving Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras and going through Mexico to the U.S. and the media attention that's on Guatemala right now is not... The the level of attention there is not the same in academic spaces and not even in Latin American cultural studies where one would think that would be an ideal place to see Guatemala, where it's marginalized not only by the U.S., of course, but also by Mexico um, and other parts of Latin America that have been prioritized within the... Epistemic structure of Latin America, at least in academic terms, right? So, on the one hand, there's a lot that has been written about Guatemala in history and in anthropology, but in cultural studies, very little. Mm-hmm. Um, it, where it exists, it's certainly with the, the very well-known literary figures such as Miguel Angel Asturias, mm-hmm. or certainly Rigoberta Menchu. And we could have our own podcast on mm-hmm. what a testimony <laughs> is. Certainly testimonial, right? Um, uh, so, th- those were some of the main challenges. Was I wasn't so much writing um, about the space of Guatemala in the field. I was I was I was having to make I was having to construct the space of Guatemala in the field myself. So that that first of all was challenging, but then in terms of the actual getting into the full throttled research stage. Um, I had spent time at the AHPN. And whenever I would go there to do research and read about crimes against humanity and to speak with people working there, I would always go with these big ambitions that I'm going to spend six hours here and I could never spend more than two or three because it was so painful. Painful to read uh, narratives about um, children taken um, by their parents for illegal adoptions, for example, and torture, and especially the crimes that disproportionately affected women and especially indigenous women was painful. It was painful. And then, you know, you go out into Guatemala City mm-hmm. and you see the faces of the people around you um, and it, it adds the human element to that. Um, so that certainly was difficult. And then away, f- whether in Guatemala or back home in, in Michigan, reading about violent acts, reading about what people were capable of doing to one another, reading about what this tells us now about memory and trauma. And I think Osvaldo focused a little bit more on trauma and that psychological aspect than I did, Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly it's relevant here. Um, That's mentally taxing. And I I found that to be especially true in my last chapter of my dissertation, which focuses on necropolitics, which in a very boiled down way of understanding that, it's where death is is uh, it dominates life. Um, death is is always ever present and ever close in life. Death governs the way that people live. Um, and Ashil Mambe and others have have theorized this very heavily. Um, and I felt that. That's real because in Guatemala, you have the gated communities, you have the ubiquitous militarization of everyday life, the guns everywhere. <laughs> the idea of death and the gang violence, certainly, um, the idea of death is always there. And how, how does one create those spaces of hope and memory, memory reconstruction, right, with that death ever present at the same time is very difficult to negotiate. And also, when I think about not only the AHPN, but even the police accords or the, the uh, recuperación o esclarecimiento histórico in Guatemala, um, we have privileged narratives there. In other words, there's always narratives that are left out. And Oswaldo, you were talking about how you encountered that in the Southern Cone. Um, and what do I mean by that? For example, even in the proyecto, the project at the AHPN, that is mostly, as I understand it, a mestizo endeavor. The Mayan indigenous peoples, who were the ones who were most affected by the internal armed conflicts, are, are present in the documents, but not so much in the recovery of those documents. So it's still an elite endeavor, right? And even, you know, the photographs, of the hijos' photographs in Guatemala City are still predominantly um, university professors, students, workers, etc. mestizos, an elite endeavor. And so as much as the effort that we can make to... Um, create those spaces where where voices are represented, there's still inevitably those that are left out. Whether it's those of indigenous people generally, whether it's women, and certainly I only had male authors in my dissertation, which is something that I'm still negotiating. Whether that's LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. um, so and we we could certainly go further um, as we continue to build build those connections here between Guatemala and especially the Southern Cone, Argentina, mm-hmm. Chile. Yeah.
0: Yes. Let me take it uh, take that point and uh, bring it back to the topic or the issue of recovery and preservation of memory Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, that is addressed in the digitizing uh, project of Alex Galarza with the Grupo de Apoyo Mutuo, mm-hmm. yeah, and the creation of the digital archive. Um, again, it was featured in episode 14 of this series, and I would like to um, hear from you how does uh, Galarza's work on digitizing the Grupo de Apoyo Mutuo archives uh, may impact your own work um, or shows or show you ways to continue, for instance, as you are saying, Andrew, in this in this case, does that make the subaltern speak
1: and being heard? Yeah. Would
0: that be an example? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm
1: asking yeah, this question.
0: Let's start with you, Andrew. Well,
1: mm-hmm. the idea of the subaltern speaking, as, yes. as we all know yeah. here at this mm-hmm. table, is something that's v- immensely complicated, you know, from, yes. from Gayatri Spivak, and that's certainly misinterpreted an, a, a lot where Absolutely, people yep. where people misinterpret that, that the subaltern can't talk. Yeah. Uh-huh. They can, but it's the speech act. It's being heard. Exactly. It's being recorded in yes. history. Yes. That's what we're talking about. And actually, yes. I, I appreciate you bringing that up because there is a lot of, I mean, recent work. Um, actually and one in particular is called Modernity at Gunpoint Firearms Politics and Culture in Mexico and Central America and actually um, I think Osvaldo would really be interested in that um, because it's performance but in a different way but I think it really speaks to his work um, where the firearm is understood as a cultural trope of modernity right but also of masculinity, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and by virtue of including images of people with the firearm, including indigenous people, and actually even including indigenous women in Guatemala, they're, they're, they're speaking in, by virtue of being recorded in history. So I think we're working more towards the idea that the sub, we're challenging Spivak, yes. in other words, immensely. Um, and we're working more towards... Um, through our interpretation of cultural production, uh, especially contemporary cultural production in Latin America, how the subaltern is indeed speaking, being recorded, resonating in the public sphere. In terms of Alex Galarza's work with the GAM, mm-hmm. you know this is the biggest, as I understand, the biggest NGO in Guatemala. And um, not only do they have their, their work that they're doing, in the United States, which resonates with the AHPN in terms of that transnational endeavor because the AHPN, the digitization process there in that case was also um, an effort with uh, the University of Texas at Austin. In this case, we have Haverford College, which is a a smaller institution, but it doesn't matter. That transnational work is still there uh, insofar as, you know, we have... We have those collaborations between people on the ground in Guatemala and in the United States in in the preservation of memory. And so certainly that transnational aspect of of the HPN, which I talked about a little bit in terms of its financial support from from Sweden and Switzerland, for example, but that, that could be further that could be further explored. Right. And so um, that that uh, by by looking more at uh, the GAM's archives, it really made me think about how that adds to the conversation of memory preservation um, and and would guide me toward the future. And also, even in in looking at um, the website, the GAM website, Mm -hmm. you know, we we see pictures of people um, who have worked on this digitization process and you see pictures of them holding. Well, actually, it's the people but also people in the background. So it's unclear in the image whether they're part of the GAM or not, um, but I would assume so, where they're holding photographs of people. Yes. And so these people are people who have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now the act of being disappeared, which I'm I'm sure Osvaldo also looked at quite a bit, you know, that's a very Latin American notion to be disappeared. Um, And it becomes, you know, an intransitive verb, and it's different for people who aren't used to that. But these people, at the very least, are present in the public sphere by virtue of the circulation of their images. And that, to me, is the subaltern speaking. Yes. So... Um, I'm sure I'm sure Osvaldo also would have a lot to say in terms of the, the disappeared aspect yes Osvaldo.
2: definitely no and I agree with uh, with everything that uh, Andrew just uh, mentioned but uh, first of all I think it's uh, it's very important uh, the work uh, on digitizing uh, the archives uh, as a way as I see it as a way to reach and go beyond uh, physical and symbolic borders Uh I mean, if, uh, that was another challenge uh, in my research, um, which was uh, to find uh, digitized documentation, um, especially uh, that I work uh, in the in the southern Corn and Spain. So it was uh, it's very difficult to have access to to these archives uh, when being so far away, and when traveling is limited or impossible. Uh, so so that's why uh, I believe that uh, digitizing. Uh, the archives can be a very uh, helpful tool in a way to, to having access uh, to all these uh, testimonies, uh, photographs, uh, et cetera. And uh, I, think, I, just, I just think that uh, digitizing uh, archives is a way to keep alive uh, the stories of the victims, uh, particularly the disappear, as you just mentioned. Um, I mean the, their bodies can be disappear but their stories are uh are very very much there, alive, their memory their
0: existence is there yes yeah, and
2: and with more access now uh i think that's a, i think that's a way to transcend uh the concept of the disappeared uh it shows uh, shows me i mean the work of uh of Alex galarza um uh, how important it is uh, to immortalize uh these uh these documents that are in risk of uh being destroyed or just uh just being forgotten just being there but without uh, very much access uh to 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 everybody who's interested in it, especially if you cannot go to the site and and and, and work with it uh so that i, I mean, for me it's a, it's a way to to make visible uh to um to make visible the stories of, uh, of the, and the memories of all the victims.
0: Yes, you know? uh, absolutely. When I uh, had the opportunity to talk with Alex Galarza about uh, the digital archives, I mentioned uh, the great respect with which they handle the material, which is very, very important. Because the issue with um, digitizing, um, it has pros and cons, no? Mm -hmm. Uh, When you create a digital archive, it's a fantastic tool to make it visible through the entire world, because the entire world has access now Mm -hmm. to um, uh, the internet and, um, and the web. In general. At the same time, it's a, a, a big task of responsibility to make sure that w- however you are presenting the material is respectful and at the same time is not taken in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So it's it has yes. both sides. It's uh, a great contribution, and it's, again, a great responsibility. Yeah, because the yes. narratives
2: can be controlled. Absolutely,
1: yes. yes. Well, and in then, you know, I was thinking about, Osvaldo, what you were saying about trans- transcending real and imagined borders, yeah. right? And But we can also transcend through the digitization process what an archive even is. It yeah. is the state power, Yes. Certainly. And that, that control and manipulation. And certainly there's people who, who talk about that and Stoller, for example, uh, Diana Taylor. But then there's also a, a more metaphorical understanding of an archive as a repository and there's a more performative Understanding of what an archive could be, and mm-hmm. it's that digitization can be understood as a performance of modernity. Yeah, absolutely, right? and so that's you know with you, Oswaldo, with the theater, you know, I'm sh- certain you're working with performance studies there a mm-hmm. little bit. But we can we can understand that in different lenses through this process. It's not just sitting at a computer, uh, uh, which certainly they do, and that's very tedious. But it's the act, yeah. um, and so that's that's really interesting. And certainly, I see that with. Uh, well, the AHPN and GAM, but it would would hap- have to happen also in Argentina, which I know that archival materials in Argentina had a had a very different history. But it it it, it doesn't matter. There's still that performative aspect. Of an archive, and so mm-hmm. we're we're constantly negotiating what what the concept of an archive. In other words, absolutely yeah.
0: yes. So one last quick question for each of you. I'll start with Osvaldo. Uh, what plans do you have for the work you have done with your dissertation? What comes next with this project for you?
2: Uh, what comes next is uh, I need to um, uh, to work more uh, on it in order to. Uh, in order, in order to in order to, uh, to publish uh, my my first book based uh, on my on my dissertation, uh, I will continue uh, exploring uh, all these situations, especially uh, uh, the most uh, recent uh, plays that have been produced in uh, both of the regions that I work with, and uh, and I, and I would like to uh, focus a little more um, on the on the topic of. Uh, of, uh, of the representation of, of women who were uh, sexually abused during the dictatorships and why is it being represented now? Uh, why so many cases uh, have been uh, reported in the last five years? Why now? Why not before? And uh, it's, it is, uh, it, it calls my attention that uh, that uh, numerous uh, groups, uh, group of uh, women have uh, take, uh, have taken a step forward to to talk about it finally after so many after so many years that it happened, and uh, uh, that that would be my my project to follow after um, uh, after publishing uh, my book on uh, transatlantic uh, theater in the southern corner in Spain.
0: Yes, that it relates again to the issue of speaking and being heard. Yes, because femicides and feminicides have. Take, have happened always mm-hmm. in history. It's just you're right as well. The, the women or the subjects, you know, of the the violence. And let's take one example, which are the women. They are mm-hmm. not the only ones. They are finally speaking up yeah. and being heard. Yes. But social media and the, the accessibility through internet uh, is making that possible. Things it, it was not uh, uh, the possibility to make it widely known, yes. did not exist before, exactly. you know, so that is one of the, yeah, um, I think, I think yes, one of the things. It's a big topic everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Andrew, what are your plans for your project from this point on?
1: Yes. Well, like Osvaldo, I will be turning my dissertation into my first book project, um, but certainly that implies a lot of things that, that need to happen. Um, first of all, because I'm, you know, working with my own theoretical term, the, the peripheral network city, I I feel that there are and, and I look at that through the archive of course, but also the repertoire, which is that alternative knowledge transmission with the photographs, um, through various cultural production and, and the city space itself. Um I, I think back to some of the the challenges I faced and that was incorporating that on site research and in, in in the humanities it's perhaps not as common as in anthropology, for example, but I at first and you probably remember Rocio was in, was incorporating a lot of, you know, a personal narrative. Yeah. And that's something that I want to bring back into the conversation. My personal narrative um, in terms of being at the AHPN or in all other spaces in Guatemala, there's a lot of work about field work in the humanities. I'm interested in incorporating that into the work um, to expand it uh, on the one hand. Uh, And on the other hand, I found that I really need to focus a a lot more on um, the indigenous populations. So I'll be uh, investigating um, indigenous cultural production and seeing how that fits in um, to the, the structure and construction and reconstruction of, of urban space in Guatemala. And um, I'm also interested, and I, I got into it at the very end of my project a little bit because it just so happens in, in February and March, right at the conclusion of the project, there were a lot of posts on Instagram and Twitter yes. uh, mm-hmm. of people uh, where we see um, how do I word it? We see congregations of people with those pictures of the disappeared, but it, it's not only the children anymore. It's not even just the hijos. It's their children. Mm-hmm. So their children are too young to have experienced the internal armed conflicts firsthand. And so they don't really even have a memory of the armed conflicts, but they have a memory of somebody else's memory, which you know people write about post-memory. And I'm sure Osvaldo, you've come across that term because it's written about a lot in, in the Southern Cone. Um, and so I'm interested about in, in those generations. I'm interested in how those manifestations um, enact both the archive and the repertoire simultaneously, mm. and how that's actually represented in social media, and how that social media can also be understood as a archive or a repository and, and another site where the city is reconstructed. So um, and certainly the voices of women and LGBTQ people and the reconstruction of urban space and memory could could, uh, could could come into focus a little bit more, too. So those are just some of the ideas I have. I'll, I'll, I'll be negotiating those as I move forward and, and seeing how it fits in with the project.
0: Good, right. good. Unfortunately, all good things have to yes. come to an end, and so this conversation, so we have to leave it here. I have to tell you that I... I am honored to have been able to work with you in um, different capacities and to have read your work. It's inspiring, and I hope that I continue working with you. Definitely, yes, yes, you are colleagues. You are my colleagues. So, So yes, yes, (laughs) without a doubt. So, thank you very much. Um, I would like to conclude uh, this conversation, thanking our guests, and invite you to read to listen again our episode 14 about Grupo de Apoyo Mutuo. Um, And last but not least, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, our sponsors, or any official entities of Michigan State University. I also want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trego, and tune in for our next podcast in the fall. Thank you. Have a great day.